Okay, well this morning I'm going to be speaking on uh, the cross, uh, on uh, this, this theme, and I, I really um, wanted us uh, uh, to, yeah, to reflect more deeply, I think, on the subject of the cross this morning. I, I just was praying about, uh, seeking the Lord about what to share this week, and I really felt this is what the Lord gave me. Uh, so I'd like if you have your Bibles to turn to us where we were two weeks ago when I was speaking last in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verses 17 to 21. So if you have a Bible, um, one day we'll get our software updated so you can just throw the Bible verses up um, on the screen. Uh, but until then, the paper copy or uh, phone version will have to suffice. Um, and it says this, and we read this if you remember a couple of weeks ago. We said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen. And the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Uh, and that's where we stopped uh, last week. But if you carry on, it says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And this is the key verse that I want us to look at this morning. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What amazing words. Um, we've just spent this morning, and I, we didn't plan it, Alice and I didn't get together, uh, maybe we should have done, uh, but we didn't get together and say, this is what I'm speaking on. Uh, uh, she just prepared some songs, and I, I believe that it was, it's the Holy Spirit that's been speaking to us more. Mark read, and I'm going to read that at the end, because I know it's from the Mickey Mouse version, but I just think it, it um, <coughs> uh, from Hebrews chapter 10, it, it's just this amazing uh, explanation of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And I believe that's what God's speaking. And I, I just had this sense in my heart that all the Lord wanted me to do this morning was to preach Christ and him crucified. Because that's Paul. Paul said, all I wanted to do when I came amongst you was to preach Christ and him crucified. So uh, that's my heart this morning, that we would just lift up Jesus and look at him on the cross. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes we can become over-familiar with the cross. We can have heard it Many times we can talk, oh yeah, the cross, we sing these songs about Jesus dying for our sins and taking away uh, the, the power of death over us, but it's too familiar. And I believe God just wants us to focus again on the wonder of his sacrifice. Now, I uh, read of a story once, um, uh, and it was the story of a, uh, uh, a little boy and his sister... Uh, needed a blood transfusion. She had a rare type, uh, a blood type disease, um, and her brother actually had recovered um, from uh, the, the disease a few years earlier, but she wasn't going to recover. It didn't look like she was going to recover, and so she needed uh, some of his blood, because in his blood was the antibodies. And so the doctor explained to the little boy, and, she, and he said, you, if you don't give your, your sister this transfusion, uh, she'll die. Uh, and the doctor said, would you be brave and give your blood to your sister? Uh, little Johnny pondered and his lip began to tremble and he smiled and he said, sure, 
I'll give my blood for my sister. And so the two children were wheeled into a hospital room and uh, Mary was pale and thin and Johnny was robust and healthy. And he smiled at his sister and watched the blood travel out of his body down a clear plastic tube into hers. And, uh, and he was beginning to feel a bit weak, Johnny, and his smile faded and he looked at the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I die? And Johnny thought that giving his blood to his sister meant giving up his life. But because he loved his sister, he was willing to pay the cost. There's something about substitution. There's something about someone sacrificing for us that stirs us, I don't know about you, deeply within us. And if you are a great lover of any good movies, um, as I like to watch films, and I've watched many films through my years, do you know one of the constant themes through nearly every movie, or most movies, is the theme of sacrifice. There's something greatly noble about somebody willing to give up their life or to give up what they deserve that somebody else can live. And that's the great, the great mantra of so many films. And it's something that's written into uh, novels, films, stories, and it endures through the ages. And I think this morning there's something that the Lord wants to show us again about his substitution for us on the cross and what that means for us this morning. So... I don't know if you've ever thought about the cross. You know, we say the good news. You know, we talk about the good news of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Well, the crucifixion was an incredibly horrible way to die. It was invented by the Persians, apparently, in around 400 uh, BC, and it was perfected uh, by the Romans. Um, but basically what would happen is, is that you would essentially be pinned up and it would last for sometimes many days being pinned up on this cross. Uh, and it was a horrible, horrible way to die. And what would happen is that you would start to struggle to breathe and you would start to slowly find that you lost all your strength. And of course, you've probably got other wounds because you'd been beaten and lashed as Jesus was. And so you're losing blood at the same time. Uh, and then they would take uh, seven inch nails and they would drive them through your wrists so that your your arms could no longer support your weight, which made it even harder for you to breathe. But not only that, the nail that went through your wrists would sever something called the median nerve, which would cause immense pain, but also paralyse your hands. And so the whole concept is that you're becoming, it's hard and hard to lift your body up. And then... Uh, if anyone has ever heard the word excruciating, the word excruciating literally translated means from the cross. And it was a horribly, and they would often then break your legs, which meant that you couldn't even push yourself up. And so your whole, the, the crucifixion was just a terrible way to die. And people would often just lose control of their bodily functions and they were bleeding and it was dying. But not only all of those things, it was a terribly humiliating way to die because they didn't just do it in a private place somewhere. They did it in the public places. If you imagine going down to the Nugent, uh, on a Saturday afternoon and seeing someone hanging, bleeding, dying, in agony on the cross and then everybody laughing at them and mocking them as they walk past. Not very pleasant, is it? But somehow we've taken that, this brutal, horrible thing and we've made it into something that we celebrate. There are millions and billions of people over the world this morning that are celebrating this symbol of death. It's crazy. 
you know, it's just absolutely, it's like taking a torture chair and saying we're going to put a chair in the middle and celebrate being electrocuted. It doesn't make any sense. So why is it that we are so excited this morning and the thing that's got us going in worship is singing about this thing that causes great death? It's because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. It's for the significance, the symbolism with it and the power that came when Jesus did that. And that's this morning what I want us to focus on, the good news of the cross. But you know, before I get into what it means for us specifically as, as individuals, I want us to not forget the bigger picture of the cross. You know, sometimes we, we live in a, a culture and an age when we, we personalise or individualise everything. So we translate what Jesus has done for me through the lens of myself. And, and that's great, you know, it's fantastic to, to realise what God has done for me individually. But actually, when Jesus died on the cross, there was a much bigger picture going on. There was a much greater story going on that when you capture it and you understand it, it increases your worship and your wonder. Now, those of us that know the Bible well will know, and many of us will know this story anyway, that Adam and Eve, the world began with Adam and Eve. And the world was perfect, there was no brokenness, there was no pain, there was no sin. The world was perfect. Then Adam and Eve ate the apple, they chose to know the difference between good and evil and all of that in that moment was shattered. And sin came into the world and after that point something came in to the heart of man which meant that no matter what man or woman ever tried to do, they would sooner or later make a mess of their life. They would sooner or later be greedy or be angry or be selfish and the world steadily was destroyed. And so Christ, when he comes, he comes to deal with this big picture. And at the same time as we, we realise that, that Jesus, uh, that, that sin came into the world, we realise that God loved the world, didn't he? What's John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. God is loving us and loving the world. And Peter once gave me a book from a friend of uh, his from university. Do you remember? It was a very good book. Um, and it was, a, it was a novel, really, but it was written. It's called The Rescue Plan. And it was a story, basically, of how God the Father has been planning since that moment to rescue the world. Not just rescue you and me, but rescue the whole world to provide an opportunity for everybody to come, to restore and deal with this huge problem. And I want us to read uh, together, and if you don't mind, I'm going to read um, from the NLT, because I think this describes it, but I, I want us to read Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, because it's really important that although we're going to go on and we're going to talk about what the Christ's death means for me personally, we have to see the bigger picture. And Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 5, sorry, verse 12 says this, Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone. We were hearing David was praying about the fact that death has been dealt with. But Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Everybody dies. We all know that we will sooner or later die, for everybody sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time to Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not display, disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. When Adam sinned, death came. Everybody is now under the sentence of death. But this is what Paul says here. He says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different to the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But God's free gift leads to our leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace, his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. Are you getting the story? Adam brought in death. Jesus Christ brings in life. When God came on the cross, he dealt with the problem that had been in place since the time of Adam. Yes, Adam's one sin brings in condemnation for everyone, but, Ad- but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with, good, uh, with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't it amazing that Jesus brings righteousness to so many? God's law was given so that all the people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, what happened? God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. Just as sin ruled over all the people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Is there something in you that's stirring, that realising that it's not just about what God's done for you and me this morning, it's about what God's done for the whole world. God's dealt with the big picture, the big problem. And you know, when we ponder that, you know, I was thinking this as we were worshipping, I don't know about you this morning, but I was really worshipping God this morning, really sensed that we were in a place of worship. And I thought to myself, you know, when I get to heaven, we're going to spend eternity, eternity, like forever and ever and ever and then a bit more and then forever more, right? We're going to spend forever rejoicing and thinking about this moment, the fact that Jesus Christ did this. And so for us this morning, we should not lose the wonder of the cross. We've, if we've forgotten and, re- and we, we are kind of, sort of, what's the word, uh, glossing over it or moving past it or looking at our problems or looking at well, how God just affects us, we need to take a step back. Because forever and ever, we are going to be worshipping the Lord Jesus for this wonderful thing that he has done because he is the perfect Adam, the perfect man. You know, my, my cousin died recently of, of cancer, uh, or Helen's cousin, but, you know, I can't, my cousin really. And, uh, and the problem was for Heidi is that she had operations to try and remove it. And it didn't, and you took a bit out, but then it just seemed to grow somewhere else. And then she'd have treatment to remove it from one other place, and it just came back somewhere else. And, you know, that's what sin's like. Sin's like a cancer that's in our body. And it will eventually kill us. It might not kill us today, but it will kill us in a few weeks or months or however long it takes for it to have its way, right? But this is the amazing thing about God, right? The amazing, amazing thing is that Christ comes and deals with it completely. 
like completely, like it's all gone, like it's not coming back, like it's dealt with once and for all. And isn't that amazing? That that's what the work of God is like. That when Christ comes on the cross, it deals with the very, very, that like it just takes it all away. And so no longer is that cancer in your body, no longer is it there. Christ comes and takes it all away. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Because it should be stirring something in of us, realising that no longer, you know, when you have, uh, and I don't know if anyone here has had a, a, a thing of, uh, a diagnosis that's been on their life like that, and it weighs on you heavily, but when you know that that diagnosis has gone, there comes a freedom. And that's this morning what God wants to bring for you and me, freedom from that diagnosis of death. Freedom that says, I am free to live because Christ has dealt with it. But not just dealt with it for you and just for me, but he's dealt with it for the whole world. I know I'm going on, but I just wanted you to get this this morning. That Christ comes to die for us. So how does God do this? How does the Christ, uh, Christ coming on uh, the cross, how does that impact us? And I want to look at three ways that that impacts us. And the first is this is that when Christ comes, it deals with the legal impact of our sin. The legal impact of our sin. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Now in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of, uh, they, they say that, that Christ is in the Old Testament concealed. And in the New Testament, right, right it's all revealed. I can't remember how that phrase goes. Yeah, I suddenly lost it there. But yeah. But basically, when you look at the Old Testament, you read the Old Testament, what you're seeing is if you read closely, you'll see Jesus in it. Right? You'll see that Jesus was already being talked about and already being set up for. And when Christ comes and dies on the cross, you suddenly realise, ah, this is what it all was for. And there's a story, or not a story, it was a ritual that the, old, uh, that the Israelites used to conduct. And you'll find it in Leviticus chapter 16. Uh, if ever you manage to get through your yearly Bible reading scheme and get as far as Leviticus, that's normally where people give up. Don't give up, because that's where it gets really interesting. Right? If you don't understand it, go and read something to help you explain it, because it's amazing. And in Leviticus chapter 16, we find something called the Day of Atonement. Right? And what the word atonement means, it means really, if you imagine, at one meant. Yeah? Right? We are made at one with God. It's the day when God made things right with his people. Uh, and what would happen is, is that there were, um, it was all about dealing with the sin problem. And there were basically, they would choose two healthy goats, right? Two healthy goats. Uh, and they would find a goat with no uh, blemish, uh, no spot, no wrinkle, much like Simon, yeah? <clears throat> uh, a perfect individual, perfect specimen. Um, and then what they would do is they would take the first goat and they would call this goat the sin offering, right? And the high priest... Would, would kill the innocent goat. They would kill the innocent goat. And that would act uh, and, uh, as a substitute for all the sin of the people. And so they would kill this goat and then they would take, it sounds a bit weird, right? But they would take the blood of the goat and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. Okay? Right, that's what they would do. And it was a symbolic act that said, right, to God, right, that this goat took on the sin of the people. So the goat was no longer innocent, and so it died for the sins of the people, and it would then give its life as payment for all of that sin. Do you see the picture? Yeah? So the goat was innocent, its blood was shed to take away the sins of the people. And it's what's called a foreshadow, 
right? A pre-representation of Christ. It's a picture of what Christ did, right? Because Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice who was without sin, who took our place and shed his blood so that we would no longer be counted as guilty. He would take our guilt on himself, give his blood so that we might live. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling, read this, by cancelling the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So God made us alive together with him by cancelling the record of our dead that stood against him with our legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Someone talked about that. So Christ takes your sins and he nails them to the cross. I want you to stop just for a moment and close your eyes, if you will. I want you to imagine, if you can, going into a courtroom. I've never been in a courtroom. Um, But you've got the judge... And you've got the accused, which is you, and someone plays out a CCTV camera of your life and you starts to show all the things that you've done wrong. And they read out the list of things that you've made, the mistakes you've made, the times that you were greedy, the times that you were selfish, the times that you got angry and really lost your temper, the time you did that really shameful thing that no one ever really knows about. And you're stood there And the devil is the one that's accusing you. And he's reading out the list of demands and saying, this is wrong, this person needs to die because he deserves death. Everything he has done deserves death. And God the Father loves you. He's the judge. God the Father is sitting in that judgment seat. And he's got to make a decision. He's got to pass judgment on your life. And he loves you so much. But justice has to be done. And Jesus walks into that courtroom and Jesus willingly, we sang it this morning, he chose the cross. He says, I will take the punishment, the legal punishment, I will do the crime, I will do the time for the crime. I will take the punishment for all of this sin so that you do not have to face the punishment for all the things that have been done wrong. And you think about yourself in that courtroom and you realise in that moment that's what Jesus has done for you and for me. It says he has cancelled the record of our debt that stood against us with our legal demands. That's the thing that God does when he stands on the cross. He takes our sin, he takes our legal demands. Amen. Many of you have heard about concentration camps in Auschwitz. Some of you may have heard of a guy called Father Maximilian. Anyone heard of a guy called Father Maximilian? Well, there was a prison break out of Auschwitz. And um, on August uh, the 14th in 1941, the Nazis felt there needed to be retribution for this prisoner that had escaped. And so they selected 10 other prisoners. And there was one prisoner that cried out, screamed out, my wife, my children, I'll never see them again. And at this point, a chap called Maximilian Colby who was a priest, a Polish priest, stepped forward and said, I will take his place. And they took them and he, they led them into a, uh, a cell and they let them starve to death. 
and after two weeks of dehydration and starvation, only Colby remained alive. And the guards wanted the bunker emptied, so they gave Colby a lethal injection. And Colby is said to have raised his arm and calmly waited for the lethal injection. He took the place of someone else. And Jesus Christ has taken your place and taken my place so that we don't have to pay the debt for the sin that we have committed. And it's not just the sins, the things you've done wrong. Every single one of us, from the day that we were born, were marked with something that wasn't quite right in our lives. And Christ has come to deal with that. You know, I always say to you this morning, if you have not given your life to Christ this morning, you are standing over hell this morning on a wooden plank that's rotten. And you do not know, you do not know when your day is going to be the last day. I don't know if I'm going to walk out today. And today is going to be my last day. But this I'm sure of. I do not fear what comes next. Because I know that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. And I know that I, my name is written in the book of life. And when I die, whenever that may be, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's in 50 years' time, I know that Jesus loves me and that when I stand before him, he will welcome me in. Because I even though I may have made a complete mess of my life, his cross, Jesus on the cross has paid for my sin. Do you, do you believe that this morning? Does it excite you in your heart? Because it should do. It should be alive to us every day. So the first thing that happens is that, that our guilt is, uh, sorry, our, the legal demands are removed. The second is this, that our guilt is removed. Our guilt is removed. So our legal demands are met, but our, legal, our, our guilt is removed. In, we read in that verse in chapter 21 at the beginning, sorry, chapter 5, verse 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that, and this is the end of the verse, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God just doesn't want to deal with your sin in a legal sense. He wants to wash away the guilt and the stain and the effects of that sin. Do you believe that this morning? That's what the cross came to accomplish. You know, I don't know if you were following my story about the goats. Um, but I said there were how many goats? Two. I only talked about the first one. The first one, unlucky goat number one, right, okay, um, was killed to take away the legal demands of our sin. The second goat got a slightly better deal, right? Um, what would happen is the high priest, who was the representation of the people of Israel, would take the goat and he would lay his hands on it as the mediator between God and the people and he would confess over the goat all of the sins of the people of Israel. And then what they would do is they would take the goat and they would send the goat into the wilderness. They would let the goat go free, away from the camp, like kind of walk away into the distance. And the goat was called, anyone know the goat was called? The scapegoat. That's where we get the word scapegoat from. He was the one that took the blame for our sin. And it says, it's almost the, the picture of the, the goat trotting off into the distance is a picture of our sins disappearing away into the distance. You see, when God comes, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he didn't just say, right, okay, that's it. You know, I've paid the price now, you know, but you can carry on feeling guilty for all the things you've done. You can carry it. That's not what God said. He said, no, I don't just come to take away your sin. I come to wash away all the guilt and the shame and the offence and the, the brokenness that sin has caused in your life. 
That's what Jesus comes to do on the cross. Isn't that amazing? Jeremiah chapter 33 verse 8 says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. God wants to make us clean this morning, completely clean. You know, I think there are some people that feel that they've made such a mess of their life that they're okay with Jesus taking away their sin. They like the idea of Jesus taking away their sin. But somehow they hold on to the guilt and the shame. And they kind of never really get free because they never really accept that Jesus wants to wash away the stains of your sin. I am a messy individual, right? You may look at me and think, oh, Tim's looking smart this morning. My wife took me shopping, okay? And the reason my wife has to take me shopping is because, A, I'm not very good at going shopping, but mainly because I am terrible. I tell my kids off for this, but I get food down me all the time, right? Okay? And my garments become stained with all kinds of things, right? Okay? And it doesn't matter how good seems to me vanish. What a lie. Yeah? Right? You can't get the stain out of that sin, right? And this is the thing, is that Jesus, it says, has, Jesus is like the ultimate vanish for the stains of your heart. Jesus comes to wash away and make completely clean your inside. You know, I heard a story once, it was by a guy called Paul Brand, who's a famous doctor, a Christian doctor, and he said that once um, he had a patient and the patient had an incredible pain in his leg uh, and there was just no way they couldn't do anything for it and so it was so painful and awful and eventually they decided to amputate the leg and the patient said, brilliant, what I want you to do is I want you to cut my leg. And he hated this leg so much and the pain that it caused him. He said, I want you to take this leg, I want to, I'm going to embalm the leg and I'm going to put it on my mental piece. And every day I'm going to laugh at that leg, right? And I'm going to laugh at how much pain that leg has caused me. Sadly, the leg had the last laugh, right? Because they cut his leg off um, and of course, in theory, that should have dealt with it. But he got something which is called a phantom limb, all right? Where basically, ironically, although the leg had gone, it was still on the mantelpiece, the pain, even though the leg was gone, the pain was still there. And we can be like that. God has dealt with our sin and we're still living under the pain of our sin. We're still living under the guilt of our sin. We're still living under the shame of our sin. And the Lord wants to say to you this morning, when we sing at the cross, at the cross, it means that your sin, your shame, your guilt, all of it is washed away. And you can be free. You don't have to go around thinking, oh man, I'm such a loser. You're not a loser. When you discover that Jesus has washed away your sin. So that's the second thing. God washes away the shame of your sin. And this is the last thing. And I think one of the most exciting things. God deals with the legal demands of our sin. God washes away the guilt. But God, thirdly, he, when he went to the cross, he defeated the power of darkness. He defeated the powers of darkness. Now, like I said to you about Adam and Eve, there's been a spiritual war that's been raging for centuries, maybe even millennia, I don't know. Right? There's a battle going on between God, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and their angels and the devil and all of his demons. And God, who loves us immensely, is trying to win us back because what has happened is that you and I have been taken captive. We are like prisoners of war. 
We are but prisoners of war. You know, the Bible says in several places we are taken captive. And anyone who remembers uh, Jesus' life and Luke chapter 4 will remember that when Jesus stood up to announce his ministry, what did he declare? He said, I've come to set the captive free. Jesus was saying in a spiritual sense, there are people that are prisoners and they don't even know it, but I've come to set them free. And Jesus is not just meek and mild, he comes as a great warrior, as a great king who's come to liberate us and defeat the powers of darkness. You know, the devil tried to destroy Jesus in the desert, didn't he? He tried to tempt him and cause him to sin, but Jesus didn't give in. Jesus lived the perfect life. You know, the enemy, the devil is like a fisherman. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I attempted fishing once. I wasn't very good at it. didn't have the patience. But essentially, the notion of fishing is this. that If you want to catch fish, what do you have to do? You have to take a hook, you put it on a line, and what do you do with the hook? You put bait on it. You put something nice on it that the fish like to eat. Now, when they eat it, they don't realise that what's inside the food is a hook. And the hook is what catches the fish. And the devil operates just like that. Do you want, let me tell you something you need to get hold of this morning. The devil will give you whatever you want. If you want sex, he'll give you sex. If you want money, he'll give you money. If you want power, he'll give you power. If you want relationship, he'll give you like relationship. If you want appreciation, he'll give you appreciation. He'll give you pleasure. He'll give you fame. He'll give you fortune. The devil will give you whatever you want. Because if you take it, what happens? What's inside it? The hook. And before you realise it, you have been hooked. And at that point, you're his captive. And then he just reels you in and brings you into greater and greater darkness. And that's so often why you see people, they make one mistake, one big mistake. They choose to go after something that God hadn't given to them and they wanted it and they weren't prepared to wait for God to give it to them. And they took it, the devil offered it to them. And of course, then their life just begins to go down and down and down and down. And you and I, once we get into that situation, once we, and all of us have been in that situation, all of us have sinned, all of us have been captive to the devil. But this is the amazing thing. This is the amazing thing. Oh, go on, before I finish that. <clears throat> Has anyone seen the film Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? That film freaks me out. Because there's this, you know, do you remember the child catcher? And the child catcher walks around, doesn't he? And he offers the children sweets and says, come on, come into my... And then, of course, he catches them and takes them away. And that's what the devil's like. And so often we don't see it and we think, ah, oh, what's being offered to me surely is good. Surely this thing is great. Surely it's good the Lord would want it for me. And we don't ask God and we take it and we find ourselves trapped again in sin. But you see, this is the wonderful thing, is that God has defeated the devil. God has defeated the powers of darkness. So there is no longer any power that has power over our lives. Do we believe that? Amen. You see, now there may be people here this morning that struggle, that, that have dark dreams. That maybe are struggling with addictions. Some of that sense of darkness or power over your life that you just cannot get free from. But when the, Jesus died on the cross, he came to break every single power. There is no power that can stop you being free this morning in Jesus. You know, it says in, um, 
uh, you know, because crucifying Jesus was the devil's biggest mistake. Did you know that? Crucifying Jesus was the devil's major error. And he just didn't see it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to 9, it says this. Paul says, When I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. And this is the key bit. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before it began. But the rulers of this world, that means the devil and all his, his principalities, have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, on the cross, Jesus hid his victory in defeat. He hid his glory in shame. He hid our life in his death. You know, we celebrate the most brutal moment in history because in it was hidden the greatest glory of God. And when Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished, what he's saying is, it is dealt with. It is done. There is no more power. And I can imagine in that moment that the devil suddenly realised what he'd done. That all that he'd been working to, the devil thought he'd defeated Jesus. They thought they'd killed God, only to realise that actually, they'd, in that single moment, that everything they'd ever worked for was completely destroyed in that moment. All their power was gone. Because Jesus comes and triumphs over every power. Colossians, we read it earlier. Colossians chapter 13 and chapter 2, 13 to 15 says, and I'll just know in fact, it says, the cancelling the record of our debt that stood against him with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. And it says this in verse 15 he disarmed, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame. He has shamed the devil. He has shamed the demons. He has shamed them. He has shamed all the things that thought they had any power. In that moment on the cross, it was all broken, it was all defeated, it was all gone. And the devil now is just someone that has no real power, but he's just trying to trick us to think that we, he has power. And this morning, you may feel like your life is still bound up. You may feel there are things in your life that are just too big for you to deal with. And I'm telling you that when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he defeated every power. He defeated every power. Amen. Amen. I just feel, and I'm gonna, that's where I'm finishing, but I just feel that I want to read this verse. Um, and I think it's the right verse. And it's Isaiah chapter 53. And I just feel I want to read it. It says he was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, the chastisement that brought us peace. And this is the verse that I want to do. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. I believe the Lord this morning wants to heal us physically but also spiritually.
But when we accept what the cross means for us, when we are prepared to acknowledge our need of God, our need of the cross, that God comes to bring healing within us. I'd like us to stand. And I'd like us in your heart, in your heart this morning, to respond to God. Maybe this has become so familiar to you. You've heard this so many times before. Yeah, I know the cross. I know the cross. I know what that's all about. Yeah, yeah, Jesus died for me. It's great, fantastic. And I want to say to you this morning that if you've heard it so many times before, is it still fresh to you? Is it still something that makes your heart leap for joy? If it doesn't, I want to challenge you to get before God and say, God, show me again the wonder of the cross. Show me what it means for all that you've done for me. Because when you get hold of it, when you see the truth of the cross, oh boy, it just does something in your heart. It changes the way you worship. It changes the way you live. And you realise that all your debt has been paid for. All your guilt has been washed away. That there's no need to feel shame any longer. And there's no power over your life that can hold you. And if you know, and I just want to challenge you, if you know there is something in your life, whether it's physical or spiritual or emotional, that you know that still has power over you, I just want you, I'm not going to look, and I encourage nobody else to look. Right? I want you to put your hand in the air. And I want you to put your hand in the air as an opportunity to God, to say, Jesus, I accept the work of your cross this morning to break the power of these things over my life. That I acknowledge that in you, you have put to shame the principalities and powers, openly defeating them. And there is no power that has authority over my life. I want to encourage you this morning to open your heart and to just let the Lord Jesus come and just minister to you. And if you have never accepted Jesus into your heart, if you've never said, yes, God, I am willing to believe in you as the King of kings and Lord of lords, I'm willing to believe that you died on that cross to deal with my sin, then I want to ask you to respond this morning. I want to ask you to say yes to Jesus. And say, Jesus, I know that maybe my life is a bit of a mess. Even though it might look good on the surface, I know there's things that I'm ashamed of. And this morning, I want you to come, Jesus, and to take away my sin. And to wash away my guilt. And to free me to be who you've made me to be. And if that's you this morning, don't miss this opportunity. Because you do not know what waits for you outside these doors. None of us do. None of us do. But we do know this, that if we believe in Jesus, we do not have to worry about what's outside those doors. We do not have to worry about what comes tomorrow or next week or the year after because we know that we are secure in him. Hallelujah. 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 Amen.